You are listening to Understanding Micah, which is part of our Understanding the Old Testament series, where we make the Old Testament accessible to you. We've been looking at the first four chapters of Micah in the past four episodes, and we've seen some recurring themes. We've seen the theme of judgment. Micah is condemning Jerusalem for their injustice and idolatry. But we also see the theme of redemption and restoration and salvation in a proclamation of a future hope. And we see a a timeline that Micah sketches out that God is going to judge Israel for their sin by sending a foreign nation to take them into captivity, into exile. And yet it is through that very exile that God will enact his saving plan to restore and regather Israel and to raise his people above all the nations that the word of the Lord would be honored among all people. Now in Micah 5, we see that that future hope is centered upon a ruler, or maybe more properly, a king. And this king will rule Israel, and he will be a, a, a ruler that brings about a restoration and a fulfillment of all the promises that God has given to his people. So pay attention to how Micah describes this future king. This is Micah chapter 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace." When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men, and they shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through, treads down and tears into pieces, and there is none to deliver." Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you, and will destroy your chariots. And I will cut off the cities of your land, and throw down all your strongholds. And I will cut off sorceries from your hands, and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you, and you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities, and in anger and wrath I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. 
So Micah begins chapter 5 with a call for Jerusalem to muster her troops against a siege. Now, a siege is a military tactic where an opposing army essentially cuts off supply lines and starts bombarding the walls of a city. And this is referring to an actual historical event chronicled in 2 Kings 19, where King Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, lays siege against Jerusalem. This is in 701 BC. And siege is a pretty serious deal. I mean, if you, if you cut off the food supplies, it's going to cause all kinds of chaos and famine and poverty within the land. So Jerusalem is facing insurmountable odds. I mean, Assyria is a superpower, and they're not exactly up to the task of defeating this superpower. But Israel's hope lies with a future ruler. And this is something that Micah portrays as, as sort of a, a hope to cling to. Now, this is kind of how prophecy works a little bit. There's oftentimes a near fulfillment of a prophecy and a far distant, greater fulfillment of that prophecy. So the way it would work would be, he says, okay, look, when, when, uh, when you are being sieged by your enemies, a ruler will emerge from you. Now, in the near future, that seems to be referring to King Hezekiah. And we read in 2 Kings 19 to 20, God delivers Hezekiah from the threat of Assyria. The siege ends, Sennacherib is killed, and Jerusalem is safe. So that might work as sort of a near partial fulfillment of this prophecy. But there are some details about this ruler that don't fit with Hezekiah. Hezekiah doesn't really seem like the kind of king who is coming forth from old, from ancient days. And also there's this focus on Bethlehem, which is David's hometown. Now, when you put these together, it seems like it's a reference to say that a future king will restore the great lineage of King David. He will be born in David's hometown of Bethlehem. And that this plan of this emerging ruler is not something new or a reaction, but rather ordained by God himself from ancient days. That this ancient lineage of David that has been so disgraced, you know, you read first to second Kings, bad king, bad king, bad king, okay king, and then he ends up bad. It's, it's not a pretty picture. But one ruler will restore and, and even expand upon and lift up to new heights the Davidic royal lineage. So this future ruler is going to expand upon and be a greater Hezekiah. And this is, again, this near partial fulfillment and future complete fulfillment pattern is common in prophetic literature. Now, another detail we see is that king not only rules Israel, but he rules over a reconciled Israel, an Israel that's no longer split into two kingdoms. Now, Micah is using present-day language to express a future situation. So you can imagine if you tried to explain, you know, cars to somebody in the 17th century, you might use examples of horses or machines that they are familiar with to describe something they have no concept of. In, in the same way, Micah is saying, look, I'm going to describe the future in ways that you can presently understand. And I'm going to use the Assyrian siege as a sort of model for how God is going to work out his salvation plan in the future. And Hezekiah is sort of like a present-day representative of like, yeah, think about Hezekiah. The future king is going to be like that, but greater. And he returns to the present and he says, look, because God is going to bring this future king and bring restoration, um, you don't have to worry about Assyria. 
Jerusalem will defeat Sennacherib's army with seven shepherds and eight princes, which is a symbolic phrase referring to military strength. And God is going to be the warrior of Israel. He's going to be the one who fights on behalf of his people. Now, he, he kind of flashes forward in time and he says, we're going to be delivered from the Assyrian threat. But now I'm going to flash forward and focus on the remnant of Jacob. Remnant, again, I've said this in prior episodes, is a really key phrase. The remnant are those who remain faithful to God. So when God sends his judgment, um, the people who remain steadfast to the Lord, they are the remnant. And as long as a remnant is preserved, Israel's going to have a future. So Micah says, if there's a remnant of Israel, a remnant of Jacob, then there is always going to be hope for salvation. And just as God delivered Jerusalem from Assyria, which he's going to do, uh, you can see that again, 2 Kings 19 to 20, God destroys the Assyrian armies, defeats Sennacherib, Hezekiah uh, wins, Israel is safe for the time being. So victory is going to come. But, but what, uh, what Micah does is he says, look, the, the reason you beat the Assyrians is because you had the Lord on your side. And in the future, in the future when you face enemies, you're going to have to have that same faith. Victory never comes by Israel's strength. In fact, Micah prophesies that one day God's going to actually cut off Israel's horses, chariots, cities, sorceries, carved images, and idols. He's going to take away all the things they depended upon, the false gods they depended upon. He's going to purify Israel, and then he's going to deliver them by his own power. God himself will execute vengeance on Israel's enemies. Now, this makes sense of why in some of the prophetic literature, like Isaiah or Jeremiah, the prophets warned against allying with nations like Egypt. But you got to think, if you're ruling Israel at the time, and you're a king, and you're like, man, we got a small army, we got to make some alliances with these pagan nations, and the prophets are going, don't do it. You're like, what are you talking about? It's a matter of national security. But the prophetic message is this. You don't trust in chariots and horses. You trust in the Lord. He's the one who fights for you. He's the one who executes vengeance on your enemies. And the, the Lord is going to work through this king that he anoints. So the promise of a king is tied to the hope of Israel and the hope of the world. In 2 Samuel 7, God makes this peculiar promise to David. He says that he's going to have an heir, and his heir will rule on a throne forever. But the problem is after him, king after king fails to do that. Solomon has a great reign, but it ends with him turning away from obedience to the Lord. So there's this kind of loose end. God was promised an heir that would rule in righteousness, who would rule over an everlasting kingdom, whose reign would be everlasting. Why has it not happened? Well, Micah gives us the reason in verse 3 of chapter 5. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor is given birth. So here we have a timeline. God's going to give up Israel until, until a certain time when a woman in labor gives birth. In other words, Israel will not see this full restoration or deliverance until God's appointed time. And if you remember in past episodes, one of the patterns is this. Israel sins, God disciplines, and through that discipline, God brings a greater restoration. And the pattern for Israel is this. Israel one day, you're going to be carried into captivity, into exile in Babylon for your sins. But don't lose hope. 
because it's actually through that exile that I'm going to restore you, bring you back to the land and restore David's lineage. But that's not going to happen until she who is in labor is given birth. And when you read the Old Testament, God's deliverance through women giving miraculous births is a major theme. Think about Sarah and Isaac, or Hannah and Samuel. And of course, finally, think about Mary and Christ. And centuries later, in Bethlehem, the hometown of David, the ruler of Israel, prophesied by Micah, is born in the line of David, born of a woman, sent at the right time. This is why Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, directly quotes Micah 5, 2. In Christ, the Davidic promise has been fulfilled. This is the heir. This is the ruler Micah prophesied that came of old from Bethlehem. This is the king of an everlasting kingdom that was prophesied in 2 Samuel 7. And in Christ, the Davidic promise has been fulfilled. God's people will have their shepherd king who will be their peace and extend God's glory to the nations. But he's not a benign shepherd. You think about the language used against Israel, that this shepherd um, will hit Assyria with a sword and destroy the enemies and execute justice. This is what shepherds do. They're not just sort of petting sheep and hugging them and all that stuff. No, they're, they're shooting wolves. They're making sure their flock is safe. And the Lord Jesus Christ fights for his church. He defends his church and he will execute vengeance against all the nations who do not obey. That's why the Great Commission is so key. All authority has been given to Christ the King. And what do we do? Go into the nations and let them know. We tell them, we, we disciple them, and we tell them to obey all that the Lord has commanded. So that the nations, instead of incurring the judgment of God, can know the peace of God, can know the love of God extended to them in the Great King, raised up by God himself, Jesus Christ. In the next episode, we're going to look at Micah chapter 6, at what God requires of his people. 